You guys can be seated. On this Memorial Day weekend where I expect some of our church members have this service cranking out near Boca Grande Pass right now, we will forgive you when you return. And I'm glad you're listening online today for those of you guys who are there with us. Uh, as I kick off this service, I want to start kind of going back to when I met my wife and, and where I was. Because I met my wife the summer before my senior year of college. And I was a Florida boy who was living in Georgia at the time. And when I looked at my opportunities for internships, I was like, oh, there's one in Ohio. That seems like a fun place to go to and then never go back. So I, I went after that internship and, and I got it. And the youth pastor there, and th th this is all important part of the story of my wife and I's love story. The youth pastor there, his name was Paul as well. Now, this is the thing about Paul. Paul was small. And this Paul is kind of tall. And if Paul and Paul worked together, I knew that when I got there for that summer, that it was going to be tall Paul and small Paul. And I had respect for small Paul. I would never call him small Paul. And I didn't want him to be called small Paul. So I made a decision with his consent because I was like, I'm never going back to Ohio anyway. This summer, I'll just go by my middle name to make it easier on him. And so I went by Anthony all summer. I didn't expect to meet my wife. And so we had spent this summer together, grown to respect each other, like these flames started kind of growing up in between us. And there was a point where I realized, I'm going to have to tell her my real name at some point. <laughs> and she actually sent me a picture she was visiting, and she took this picture of the park bench where we were sitting at, um, if, if you can go to that picture. And th this is what Ohio looks like um, for those of you guys who've never been. It's very exciting there. Um, but we were sitting there, and, and I, I, I kind of broke the news of, just so you know, most of the people in my life, all the ones who know me, they, they actually call me Paul. And you, know, you can tell, like, her mind was like, wait a minute, what? Like, what else is not true about you right now? Um, and, and it was a funny conversation, but it was one of those things. It's like, just like, I need you to know all of me, like, if we're going to pursue this. I can't change the rest of my life to go by Anthony. People are going to be very confused when I come from this. And it was this, this kind of funny moment where, where we have this point where she says, when I see this park, I think of the time when you told me your real name. And in your life, I know that there's been times and seasons where it's been like people have looked at you and, and they've questioned your identity. And whether there's been a mistake or maybe a triumph or a change in circumstance and people look at you differently. It's funny, we have some friends from out of town in here today and they looked at my kids and they're like, oh my goodness, like you're just a different human now because they haven't seen them in six years. And, and, and we undergo these, these times where our identity in someone else's eyes will change. And today we're continuing our series called The Story, and we're picking up in the book of Daniel. And for those of you guys who haven't been here, just some context. Where we're, we're arriving here, God's people, God's nation, they've moved away from him, and he's good to his word that he said, when you begin to worship the other gods, I'm going to expel you from the land to discipline you, and as you humble yourself, I will bring you back. And we're to this point where the Babylonians have conquered Judah, and they've brought people out into exile. 
And they chose from the royal family some people to serve within the courts of the king, some people who had high capacity, some 14 and 15 year olds, and they brought them into service and they selected a few people. And Daniel was one of these people. We're going to be looking in Daniel, or in the book of Daniel, chapter one, verse five, if you want to read along. And we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. And it says, the king assigned the, these new servants, them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And and these names that they gave them... it meant something different. And it was actually something that was meant to, to further crush their heart in their mind. And, and to make sure you have the proper context, if you could put yourself at 14 or 15 years old and imagine their country and their city gets defeated. Some of their parents were killed and they were brought out into exile. Scripture is not exactly clear on this next detail, but these men were serving under the head eunuch, and Scripture does not exactly describe if they were forced to become eunuchs or not. But they're brought into a new land where they're being forced to learn a new language, learning the traditions of the Babylonians, and they're being put into service within the king's court. And then this is what they did to their name. Daniel, his name in Hebrew, it meant God is my judge. There was this connection between their heavenly father and their name. And then the, the Babylonians, they, they said, no, now your name is going to be the, the treasure of Baal, which is the, the foreign god Baal, or the, the place where the treasures of Baal are hidden. Because Daniel would interpret visions and he had wisdom. And they said, our God is putting wisdom inside of you. And so they changed his name to something that would be connected to their their foreign gods. Hananiah, his name meant the Lord has been gracious to to me. But his name was changed to to the one who is the inspiration of the sun god. Mishael, his name meant he who comes from God. But the Babylonians changed it to the one who belongs to Shaddak, one of their, their gods. And Azariah, whose name meant the Lord is my helper, his name was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nego, one of their gods. As they were brought into this different territory and this different life, and they're, they're going through what had to be the worst moments of their life, their entire identity was attempting to be changed by the Babylonians. And it starts with the way that they're referred to and the way that they're spoken of. And, and there's so much that gets compared. Christians sometimes use the terminology of like the spirit of Babylon or the mindset of Babylon that that was true then, it often happens now. I want to tell you, there's nothing brand new under the sun. Because when you look back to to this time that we're studying in Babylon, what do we see? Well, they're they're forcing churches closed. They're, They're trying to force churches to compromise their values in line with the culture. And they're trying... At, at this point within the eunuchs, they're, they're changing the natural state of a person so that it better fits their worldview and purpose for that person. And you don't have to look very far in scripture to find things that run exactly parallel to what we're experiencing in this time and culture. 
And within this, from the very place, the way that they're spoken about, the way that people speak to them in their culture, they're saying, I won't even refer to you by a name that has something to do with your God. We're going to give you new names. We're going to force a new description on you. And right now, our culture, the media especially, has a lot to say about the church and Christianity and those who would follow the teachings of Scripture. And while there was once a time where churches and those who follow the teachings of Scripture were well thought of in our culture and time, that time has passed. And so there is a pressure within the church to conform. We are seeing mainline denominations split and shift under that pressure. And I want to affirm to you that there will always be a connection between obedience and blessing within the church. That from the time that the Israelites ended up getting dispersed to the nations and defeated by Babylon, it was connected to their disobedience. And as the, as the culture tries to impress upon us, be different, live different, believe different, we have to hold to the foundation of what is taught in Scripture and the foundational convictions that God has impressed upon His church. We have to live them out. And there is only one person who has the authority to say, this is who you are. And it's not our government. It's not our media. I want to tell you, it's not even you yourself. Because God has said who your identity is. He has said, I have a heavenly name that is written for you. He has said, you are my beloved child. Though you are fallen, you are chosen. Though you are sinful, you are being made holy. Though your best works are like filthy rags before you, you are a saint. I think my favorite way that he says is he says, you are my beloved adopted child brought into my family. And when you feel the pressure, and you will feel the pressure at times to conform to the pattern of this world, continue to choose There is a foundation on which I must stand. And I know that as I live this way, I'm going to see God's blessings. And this is the thing. Some of your convictions at time, they're going to feel petty. It's like God has called me to live differently. Or God has has said, I need to work that media out of my life. Or God has called me to change the way I speak. Or to change the way I'm taking care of my body. The way that I'm managing my money. There are times where God will put a conviction on your heart. And the world will be like, that is just so petty. Like, why are you even messing with that? Uh, We're going to continue in the passage in in verse 8. Daniel and the the others were were being given food from the palace that they considered unclean by the standards of the word of God. In in verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with those of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now this, this seems like, you, you have to make sure you, you understand the context. 
To do something outside of what the king said was like immediate capital punishment. And you can see the fear in the servant's head of like, if I don't feed you the food that the king says, that could end up with me on the chopping block. And I would prefer that not happen. So just eat the food. Daniel is literally putting his life at risk over something as small as choice food from the king's table. But how important is a conviction when God puts it on your heart? And to stay with the, the, this interaction that was happening with me and, and, and Tia, you know, she was 19 and I was 20 at the time. And, and we're just now like, starting to understand, okay, we both have these feelings towards each other and you get the little butterflies when you see each other, when you do with the puppy love and stuff's getting started. And she's learning these new interesting things about me, like my real name. And, but, <laughs> but one of the other things that, that happened in a conversation, I had been a Christian for about three or four years at this point. And I knew something about myself that God had put a conviction on my heart. And this isn't a conviction to apply to you, but I just got to tell you where I was. One of the other first conversations that then had to happen is I, I had to tell her, I said, there's a couple things I need you to know about me in my life. One is whoever comes alongside me in this life needs to be ready. Like if God opens the door for us to serve overseas in missions and he calls me to do it, I'm going. And that has to be a cost you're willing to pay with the way that we live our life. The other thing is I know myself and I know my history. And so I've already made a decision in my conviction that my next kiss is going to be at the altar. And the next time I tell a girl that I love her, it's going to be when I put a ring on her finger. And so if you date me, that's not going to be a part of our relationship. And a lot of people said, you know, that, that's petty. Like, it's not a big deal to kiss the person you love. And I get it, and it's fine for other people, but it was a conviction that I knew I had to follow on my heart in my life because of my past mistakes and because of the love story that I wanted to write for my kids, for them to know. And so that my wife one day, when she had to be in a situation where she tr needed to trust me, she knew that if I was faithful to God in this way, when anyone else would have said, it's fine, she knew that she'd be able to trust me there. And I saw a connection between that. And, and in so many people's eyes, in so many Christians' eyes, it was a petty decision, but it's not for them to decide because it's a conviction that God put on my heart. And it's important, it is critical that when God puts a conviction on your heart, you follow it through. Your conviction is not always for everybody else. And I'm not telling you that's the only way to date, but I'm telling you that's the way that God said, Paul, you have to do it. And I think that we get something flip-flopped in our mind. We're like, God, I want all of the good stuff here, even if it means being disobedient to you. And, and even though I go outside of your will, I want you to entrust me with even greater things. Like in my relationship, I'm gonna go outside of your plan for sexuality. But once I'm married, I want the best, most intimate, most trustworthy relationship that I could possibly have with my partner. And it's like, well, to get that, we have to restore some trust that you knocked down during this time. 
And if you're hearing this, I don't want you to feel like, oh, but my history is not like that and I can't fix it. Then what you need to do is find the ways that you can continue to show your spouse that they can trust you now. We can't fix what's happened in the past, but we can begin to say, I'm gonna show my spouse by the way that I live, by the way that I manage my life, by the way that I manage my time, my finances, these spiritual gifts that God's given me, I'm gonna live in a way where I build trust upon trust upon trust in their eyes so that they know they can trust me in all of those areas. Because that's what I was doing with my spouse and that's what I was doing with my heavenly father because we get this thing flip-flopped where it's like we want God's blessing and best now even though we're outside of his design. But this is how it works and this is how it works in the passage that he says, put it to test. I'm gonna do it God's way and you look and you compare the other servants. You see if they look better than me because I believe if I do it God's way, you're gonna look at us and you're gonna see God's results. He had the faith in the middle of the circumstances to say, even when other people would say, you're gonna do better if you eat the meat and drink the wine and eat the great food from the table. He said, no, I will do better if I have less, if I'm doing it God's way. Even if it means I won't have as much as other people, at the end, I will have more because I do it God's way. And he had the faith to see that. Daniel, as he, he said, for 10 days, let, let's just try it. Let, let's see what happens. And this is, man, I, I wanna tell you, going with only vegetables for 10 days, for me at least, I don't know which one's more difficult, abstinence or just vegetables. <laughs> it, it was a more difficult path that he took. And can I tell you that the convictions that God gives you, they're going to lead you down more difficult paths than what other people take. But faith is having the eyes to see that at the end of the path, it's gonna be better. That it's short-sighted to think that I can circumvent what God is teaching and have a better result. It's foolishness. It's wisdom in the eyes of the world, but it's foolishness in the eyes of the kingdom of God because we understand that if God says, take the longer route, it's the better route. If you take a route that requires more death to self, there's a purpose in it. And I think that's the problem is that we have this misconception, misconception, misconception in our head of, God, I would take a bullet for you. But waking up at 7.30 on a Sunday morning, it's oh, a big ask, God. God, I would surrender my body to the flames for you. But teach a children's class? Oh, I can't do it. And the logic doesn't flow. It's like, we'll, we'll do the grand gesture, God, but the daily putting to death within my body, I don't have the faith for it. And I want to shake you and wake you up because you're missing out on some of the best experiences of your life. Because those experiences where you follow the small convictions, they lead to the greatest blessings. As I've reminded you many times, those who can be trusted with the small things will be entrusted with the greater things. And if you've been asking God for greater things, but you haven't been faithful in smaller things, God is still waiting for you to show up. And I want great things for you. 
So I want to challenge you, the small convictions, the small things like, like the meals, they have to change. The use of time has to change. The use of finances have to change. The type of words I speak have to change. Follow those small convictions because they're going to lead to greater places. And so this should not be shocking. In verse 15, put verse 15 up. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. That sounds terrible. But if God calls you through difficulty, there's blessing on the other side of it. And that's what was happening. In verse 17, it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. That's a blessing. But the blessing came after the obedience. The blessing came after the display of faith saying, I will put myself out there in risk, in risk of anger at, from the king, in risk of eating worse food, in risk of not having the energy of other people that I'm competing against for better positions within the palace. But if my convictions lead me to this place of risk, I know that I can trust God with the results. I mean, this is the type of faith that was on display in this situation already. So we, we see that when we get to one of the famous stories of scripture of the fiery furnace, when the king, when his rage was inflamed, we're not surprised that this is the kind of faith that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had because they already displayed it before. And so when the stakes were increased, they already had practiced this kind of faith. Going to chapter 3 and verse 16, and this is the situation. King Nebuchadnezzar, he had set a decree that whenever the music would play, all of the people of the land would bow down and worship their idols. Everybody was doing it. There was risk to not agreeing with the social pressure and social position to just worship the idols too. And the risk was death. And this is how they handled it when they were brought before the king. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. He had just demanded that they fall down and worship. And they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not... We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Band, if you guys will make your way out here, I'm gonna to begin to close this thing up. There's a couple pieces of, a couple portions of emphasis that I wanna put on this passage. The first thing is when they said, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. 
There will be people who have problems with the way that you live out your faith and it is not up to you to make them understand or make them agree. What is up to you is that you stand firmly upon your convictions. There will be Christians. There will be people who are more mature in their faith than you, who will not understand the conviction that God has placed upon your heart. But hold to this, that the Spirit of God is able to put in your mind and put in your heart what you must do. And it will be confirmed by the words and the teaching of Scripture as well. It will come into line in your life and you will know what you need to do. And no matter who it is who's outside, it's not your job to make them understand what God is asking you to do. It's your job to be obedient to the word of God and the calling of God. I like um, how Charles Spurgeon said this when he was speaking of the word of God and defining um, and explaining the way that we feel like we need to defend it sometime. Put this quote up on screen. It says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. And so it is in the work of God in your life as well. That when God puts a conviction upon your heart and you stand upon it and you live it out, the results will speak for themselves in time. There, there were people who criticized me for just you know being overboard in the way that I handled my relationship with Tia as we were dating and there's people who messed with her and was like, you know, maybe you just need some more breath mints or something. And then, and then the kiss will, like, there's different jokes that happen and they were good hearted, but it was one of those things they don't need to understand. But now I, I believe 20, almost 20 years down the road, they understand now. They look at our relationship and they're like, man, God has blessed you guys. And it's not that I haven't messed up. It's not that we haven't had our issues and our fights and our conflicts. But when we get these convictions from God about what to do and how to treat each other and how to speak to each other and how to put God at the center and we follow them, God's blessing is always on the other side of that conviction. And in the passage, I love their faith to say, even if he doesn't show up in the way that we hope he does, we can still trust him. Even if it means absolute annihilation here on earth, we can trust him because life is more than that. And then God gives the capacity for those who are in the room to see what was already happening in the first place. Because as they were thrown into the fire and three men were thrown into the fire, it says that there is one who appeared like the son of man, the son of God, who appeared like one sent by God. That's what the next passage says. And theologians are in pretty close agreement. There's some have different opinions, but theologians generally agree that this was the pre, pre-existent Christ. That Jesus before the incarnation, that, that he was the one who was there in the fire with them. But let me tell you this secret that is missed in this passage far too often. Before they were in the fire, he was already there. And after they they were out of the fire, he was still there. But when they were in the fire, there was a special closeness and a special vision that was granted. And when you have a conviction that leads you to a difficult place in life, the promise of Jesus from his ministry and life on earth rings true. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And even when you can't see him, you need to know he's right there. But in the trial and the furnace, he's going to make himself known to you in a way that everybody sees. And so if you feel like you're at that crossroad of like, I have this conviction, but it's difficult to live out, I need you to see with the eyes of faith that following that conviction, though it may have costs, it's worth it. have this opportunity, this moment to choose and have the faith to say that that blessing that I desire to have, it's on the other side of my conviction and my obedience. It's not on the other side of a shortcut. Because when we take the shortcuts, it's when we, repre- when we repeat the grade, when we repeat the lesson, when we repeat the circumstance, crash and burn and there's grace for those mistakes but don't miss the opportunity of following that conviction because God has a blessing on the other side of it will you stand with us as we pray and continue to worship God there are people right now that are in the middle of a decision about their convictions who have fears about the results, if they live for you, if they stand up for you. And Spirit of God, where you have been leading, will you just once again speak to that place in our life, in our heart right now, would you just speak and would you convict and direct? And would you give us the faith to step out in courage, knowing that you will show up, knowing that you will provide, knowing that you will be right there with us in the middle of our difficulty the difficult path that might be ahead, that we can trust you as we walk in obedience, that there will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.